0: to at least since I've been here, we've had a few people that have graduated from high school, from college, from uh, technical school or whatever the case may be. And uh, this morning we've decided that we're going to honor uh, those graduates. Before we do, I have a few things I need to call to your attention, just some announcements that we need to make. And so first of all, I want to uh, say thanks to each and every one of you who are here, who are worshiping online and who are with us in person. If you're here in person and, and you are a guest, uh, if you want to, there is an uh, additional flap on the bulletin if you want to take time to fill that out and then put it in the offering box. We don't collect an offering now. We just have a box out in the entryway and we would ask you to put it in there. That would be a record of your attendance for us. We'd appreciate it, but again, no pressure. We'd just be glad that you would do that. Uh, I want to call your attention to a few things that uh, just encourage you to be uh, praying for uh, uh, Lois and Darla whose dad passed away uh, just Saturday night uh, or Friday night I guess uh, because uh, due to COVID and so her mom and dad were both in the hospital and so we're grieving with them and uh, extend our deepest sympathy to you Lois and uh, to Anand and Timothy and Abby uh, so and your family we we'll just keep them in our prayers as we would. Uh, a lot of other prayer needs and prayer requests in the in the bulletin, a lot of things that are happening. I just uh, know that uh, Karen McFadden's uh, kind of down, so continue to pray for Karen and uh, she's got some issues going on. And also this morning, uh, our brother uh, Rod uh, asked us to be praying for Bobby Pate. Uh, Bobby Pate is a, a good guy that bo- that is working with Rod in the in, in insurance industry, but his uh, his uh, yeah, real estate, I'm sorry, I say insurance, forgive me, forgive me, that was, that was a very nasty mistake. In real estate, thanks for the correction, Rod. But anyhow, seriously, uh long story short, but just pray for uh, Bobby Pate as the Lord brings him to mind because uh, his, his, his son's mother passed away, and so uh, uh, it's a kind of a difficult, hard situation there. Just continue to pray for him. Other needs that I know that I can't mention and other people that we need to be praying for and, uh, in, a, in a moment or two. Uh, I, and actually, I'm just going to pray right now uh, for some of these needs, and then we'll, we're going to recognize our graduates. So if you just bow with me as we pray. Father, you know, we come to you because you're a great and awesome God, and uh, we sing and give mighty praise to you, and we ask you to open up the floodgates and let us see your glory, and you have in many ways and at many times, but sometimes we forget, and right now we come, as you've called us, and ask us to come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, and so I pray, I pray uh, for... Uh, the the Darla family for, for Lois and her family back in India and the family here. We just pray that they would know the peace of God that passes all understanding, that you'd comfort their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. We pray and ask that you'd work in Karen McFadden's life, that you would allow her to get some relief from the pain that she's experiencing. For others in our church body, Father, who are ailing and hurting emotionally and, and, and physically, we pray that you'd touch their bodies and strengthen them by your spirit and their inner being. Father, I pray for, for Bobby uh, Pate. Uh, and we've had that request. We pray you give him wisdom, encouragement, and you'd work to bring comfort to his, his son and, uh, and the family. We pray that you'd give him Uh, Guidance and direction as to what to do. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you, that we'd worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask Timothy and Brooke if you guys uh, would come up here. Uh, We have two graduates. Uh, So, Timothy Darla graduated from, I guess Brooke is already here, so sorry. Uh, Timothy graduated from Des Moines Christian uh, School, High School. And uh, so, and Brooke, you want to come here a minute, if you can? Just wanted to read a passage of Scripture to share with them, okay? Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, and indeed, now this will be encouraging right away, okay? And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, so that's the encouraging word from your pastor today. Um, but it's true, okay? And then he says, "...but evil men will impo- and, and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however," Paul says, "...you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them." Now, Paul's writing to Timothy, and from whom had Paul, or had Timothy learned these things? From his mother and his grandmother, okay? Okay. So you from your families, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So my encouragement to you is that, yeah, there will be persecution if you live godly in Christ Jesus. If you want to live like a knucklehead, that's not, no worries, you know, because uh, Satan doesn't care about those people, so you're not going to be persecuted. But if you live for Jesus, it'll, it'll be painful. But you, however, continue in these things, the things that you've learned and been trained in from childhood and become convinced of and uh, fo- focusing on God's word and God's truth, Okay. So that's my encouragement to you. And we're just, uh, we just want to acknowledge them and congratulate them on years of hard work. And uh, Timothy has a few more years of hard work ahead of him. Uh, so you can continue to pray for him. And I think there will be bio information in the, in the bulletins about, about them. We'd ask you two uh, to be in the, in the lobby and the entryway after the service so folks can congratulate you if they if they want to. Actually, I'm going to ask you to go back into the fellowship hall and do it there, okay? Then we won't bottle up the, the entryway, okay? So um, I'm going to ask, uh, yeah, let's give, them, let's give them a round of applause. Yeah, good. So, so now, Brooke, where did you graduate from? Drake University. Drake University, okay. So we have a university graduate and high school graduate. Great. I'm going to ask whoever is here of our elder team to come up. We're going to pray for these two and uh, send them off, as uh, in, in the Lord. Okay. So there comes the guys. So you guys can kind of come in the middle here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Norb, you just stay right there, buddy. All right. So let's uh, put our hands on these guys and let's uh, let's pray. Our great God in heaven, uh, we just thank you. Uh, so much for these young people and for their diligence and their faithfulness, for their family support, and for the encouragement uh, that they are to us. And we pray uh, that you would guide and direct and encourage their steps. We pray that they would stay true to the things that they have learned and become convinced of in their youth and that they would not sway or deviate, but that they would look to your word to teach them, to instruct them, to train them, to mold them, to shape them in the ways of righteousness. We pray you give them courage and boldness to impact the world for Jesus, for your glory, and the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Congratulations, you guys. team. He is a good, good father. That's who he is. And uh, those who are his children are loved by him. And that's who we are. That's who we are. I'd invite you to uh, pray with me if you would as we, uh, as we prepare to worship through the study of God's word. Let's pray. Father, We've sung songs about wanting you to show us your glory and about your goodness, and I pray that those things would become to us more than just nice platitudes that we sing about, nice ideas in our minds, but I pray that you would work in each of our hearts so that the truths of your word would take up residence and affect change in each of us. I know that's what I need. I pray that we would get to know you better and that we would learn uh, and and be able to love you more so that we're able to understand the, the height and depth and length and breadth and what is the love of Christ which surpasses all comprehension, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray that those who are listening here in person or online who have not yet surrendered their lives to you, would see that there is nothing that would be a greater benefit to them than to put their lives in your hands and to surrender their lives to you. That that's what they need more than anything in this world. They need a relationship with you. And those of us who know you, Lord, help us to grow deeper in our understanding of it. Use your word to enlighten our eyes and to transform our hearts We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was really surprised this week when I read a warning sign or saw signs that were being posted or put out in print telling people not to collect gasoline in plastic bags. You know, it's kind of like having to put a sign up that says this is... Scalding hot coffee, you know, it's probably not a good idea to set it between your legs and drive down the highway, you know. We have warning signs. I don't know if you've ever seen any warning signs. I see warning signs all the time. There's all kinds of warning signs. I like this one, correctional facility area. Do not pick up hitchhikers. That's, That's probably a good idea. Road unsafe when underwater. There you go. And warning signs are given, you know, because we're nearly not that sharp. You know? Uh, don't feed the birds. You know, feed a pigeon, lose a finger. All right? Warning signs. You see them all the time. I see them all the time. we see warning signs, warning signs, warning signs. We're bombarded with them. And our natural inclination when we see a warning sign is to do what? Ignore it. Typically, that's what we do. We ignore it. But the warning signs are given there for our protection, right? They're supposed to be for our physical protection. They're for our spiritual protection, whatever the, the sign is. Sadly, we insist on learning the hard way. As a parent, I can attest to this. As a child, I proved it. We want to learn things our own way, right? I'd rather not listen to you tell me what I should do. I, I'm going to find out on my own. That's called sin, okay? That's our sin nature. But here we deal. is the, 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 These signs are given to, to help us and to protect us and to keep us from going the wrong direction and we're given warning signs not just intended for us to understand them but actually to abide by them it's So the challenge this morning as we come to a passage of Scripture in which Jesus gives us some pretty clear warning signs is not just to intellectually absorb it, but to actually understand it and apply it and to do what Jesus has called us to do. There's this hostility that's been mounting as we've been marching through the book of Matthew. This hostility is mounting towards Jesus on the part of the religious leaders, on the part of the political leaders, and as it mounts, uh, some of his own people are trying to, to dismiss him, but he's increasingly coming in confrontation with the people who are said against him. Scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And we come to a passage this morning in Matthew 16, and if you have your device or your Bible, if you have a Bible, or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you and get a Bible, and turn to Matthew chapter 16, that's where we're going to be in this passage. Jesus saw fit to warn both his enemies and his allies, his adversaries and his allies, of the, the great danger of, to their spiritual lives if they wanted to oppose him, if they want to become an adversary, or if they want to believe what the adversaries are saying. So if we're going to be an adversary or we're going to be, believe what the adversaries are saying, He's saying, hold up, time out, warning sign, you know? And so as we're in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus warns two groups of people. And in warning these two groups of people, he alerts us to the danger. <laughs> and there's a danger. That's what a warning sign is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to do, warn us of danger. To warn us the danger of false teachers in order so that we don't reap their destruction or we don't receive an be damaged by their cause. Don't follow them. Don't be one, don't follow them. That's what he says. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading the first 12 verses. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and, testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red, and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah and he left them and went away and the disciples came to the other side and had forgotten to take bread and Jesus said to them Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to discuss among themselves, saying, It's because we we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand? Do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000? And how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not say, beware of the leaven of the bread, of the, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so we have Jesus here. And there, there, there are two groups he's speaking to. And first of all, our Lord warns those who deny the faith not to live a lie. Those who are denying the faith don't, don't live a lie. He speaks in the first four verses to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But there's still something there for, for you and me. So Jesus had been on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, over in the Gentile region, and he would performed all these signs and miracles over there. You see where it says hippos. Okay, well, if you went up a little bit further, this is in the region uh, of Decapolis on the east side. That's a Gentile region. That's where he was doing all his miracles and signs when he left him in chapter 15, verse 39. If you look at the Bible, and it says in 1539, "...and sending away the multitudes, he got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan." Okay, oh, that's where the red X is. Okay, so now in the region of Magadan, which is back over in Jewish territory... Guess who meets him when he gets off the boat? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are right there to meet him. Now, who are the Pharisees? These are the religious teachers of the law, but they're, they're people who came from the working class, okay? They're the, kind of the, the working class people, but they were very self-righteous. And they believed in the supernatural. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels, okay? And so they also, as we saw back in Matthew 15 when Kyle was preaching, they kind of liked to elevate tradition above the Word of God. Okay. Then there were the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were kind of at odds with each other because the Sadducees, the Pharisees were from the working class. The Sadducees were from the upper crust. Okay. They were aristocracy. And the Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in uh, angels. They also sought to preserve their own political position and power, and so they were willing to compromise in order to maintain their position as religious leaders. And so you see the clash between the two. But the two enemies united against an even bigger enemy. And you know the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they had, were enemies of each other, they had a worse enemy in Jesus. And so they... Came together. So the Pharisees were the self righteous ones and the Sadducees were the self indulgent ones. Okay? And they came together testing him, the text says. What does it mean to test? That was the express purpose. We're testing Jesus. It's not really a good idea to test Jesus, to prove, to determine if he really is who he said he was. And so this is the idea, to test, to prove, to demonstrate the ability or the identity. Um, A few weeks ago, two weeks ago I think it was, they ran the Kentucky Derby, right? The horses ran the Kentucky Derby. It wasn't they, the horses ran the Kentucky Derby, right? Well, Medina Spirit won the Kentucky Derby, tested on the track to see who was the fastest on that day in Louisville, and Medina Spirit won. But then afterwards, there was another test. A test, a drug test to the horses to see if the horses actually ran under their own power whether they had been enabled and enhanced by some medication. And it's presumed or assumed or understood perhaps that Medina's spirit actually was under the influence of some medications that may disqualify the horse. A test to prove if they were there. So Jesus was tested. What was the test? Show us a sign from heaven. Oh, there we go. A sign from heaven. Probably a miraculous demonstration literally in the heavens. You know, like stopping the sun, you know, which is done in the Old Testament. You know, it just stop the sun or set the, set the dial back. You know, some miraculous sign that he would show them. And Jesus had met with this request before. Back in chapter 12, verse 38. He was asked to show a sign you know see Matthew twelve thirty-eight. then some of the scribes and pharisees said to him teacher we want to see a sign from you well Jesus uh, previous miracles before the pharisees how had that worked out if you remember back in chapter 12 he had performed miracles in the presence of the scribes and pharisees and then they went out and sought to destroy him in Matthew chapter 12 verse 14 Then later on, when he cast a a demon out, then their their conclusion was, well, he's doing this as the ruler of the demons. So it really hadn't worked out too well for Jesus in the past when he was performing signs and miracles in the presence of the scribes and Pharisees. So history, uh, their response to Jesus' previous miracles, and then Jesus' response here uh, seems to indicate that their request was uh, uh, sinful, rather than sincere. They really didn't want to know. They were hoping that his inability to do a sign would somehow discredit him publicly and therefore justify their hostility towards him. Now we can prove that he's not really who he said he was, and we can be vindicated in our hostility against this false teacher. Uh, No sign Jesus would offer. It just indicates their heart. There was no sign Jesus could offer them that would really satisfy him. I mean, they weren't really sincere. They were not humble seekers, eager to bow at his knee if he would prove himself to be the Son of God. No. Uh, They were hardened skeptics, entrenched in their denial. They didn't want to know. They had their mind made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. I'm willingly ignorant and proud of it. Thank you very much. Sadly, the world is full of people just like them. And so Jesus corrects them. And we see three parts in his response that serve as a stern warning for those who deny the truth. Those of us who want to be entrenched. Oh, I got my mind made up. Don't, don't, don't worry me. Don't confuse me with all these details. First of all, we see his rebuke in verses 1 through 4. And it begins with a claim, two charges. First of all, ignorance. Verse 2, but he answered and said to them, "Uh, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning, you say there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the times? When I was a kid, my grandpa used to say, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Oh, I thought, well, my grandpa's really clever. It's right here. This is the Bible. You know, my grandpa was clever, but this was the Bible. It's just a different way of saying what Jesus said. So Jesus is saying to these religious teachers, oh, guys, you're meteorological geniuses, and you're spiritual neophytes. You don't even know what you can... They're you're the worst spiritual guides on the planet. You can read the signs of the weather, but you have no idea how to guide people spiritually. Then he says, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? They were better weathermen than they were spiritual guides. They were oblivious to what God was doing in the time. The signs of the time. What were the signs of the times? We've been marching through Matthew. Well, hey, there was this baby born in Bethlehem. Foretold by the prophets of the lineage of the heritage of David. And he went down into Egypt and came back into into Nazareth and he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. And then there was this same guy who was performing miracles. And he was a man who had fulfilled the prophecy and he spoke with authority and people didn't know what was going on. And he had cast out demons and he raised people from the dead and he'd healed their diseases. And yet we're saying, well, you know, not so much. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm really convinced. They missed the signs of the times, which clearly screamed out, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long-promised one. Where, where are you at? You're supposed to know the Old Testament. You're supposed to know the truth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were living in the messianic age, and they refused to accept it. Well, here we are 2,000 years later. And Jesus has been risen from the dead, and the word of God has gone out, even though the people of God have been persecuted and, and murdered and martyred all through history. The signs of the times are, folks. We are waiting, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. The promise of His second return is imminent. And where are we at? Well, you know, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I'm not really sure. Are we convinced? No thought. We're convinced we're we're, we're focused on the weather, right? Praying it rains. Looking at the markets. Not the grain markets in Des Moines, probably, but financial markets. Wow! But oblivious to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that His death and resurrection prove that He is the Messiah and that only those who turn from their sin and trust in His death as a payment for their sin and His resurrection is proof that He has conquering, conquered sin and death will be delivered from their sin. No, We're not thinking about that. Some of us are not. And if you're not then I'm, I'm going to challenge you, don't be like these people. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 Peter said, Christ died for our sins once for all The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And this he did, and he rose again from the dead. And we have this evidence. They had the information. No life transformation. We have even more information. And less life transformation. And the reason is because we're not surrendering to this Christ. We're not surrendering to this Jesus. We're not waving the white flag of surrender. And Jesus didn't just question their intelligence. He went on to annihilate their indifference and to assault their insolence. And he did so with the truth. They were blinded to the truth. I don't know, how about you? Okay. Wow. Some people are looking around in the world today. Despite the fact that we can't get enough people to work and do actual work in this country, that there's a 4.2% inflation rate, that the debt is skyrocketing beyond what any of us could ever imagine. Oh, by the way, every one of you here, you just owe 85000 You know, you got 85000 sitting around, you just want to pay in, then we could pay off the net. I'm not talking about just adult taxpayers. I'm talking about every man, woman, and child. I don't care how old you are. Why am I saying this? Well, because some people are saying well, the economy's doing great. Okay, stick your head in the sand and see how that works out. Weather's great down there. You know, we're, we're blind to the truth. These people were sadly turned away from God. Those who turn away from God to self or to some other human philosophy or ideology do so, as John MacArthur states, not because of a lack of evidence about God and Christ, but in spite of it not because of a lack of evidence about God and Christ, but in spite of it. Folks, we live in a day and age in which we have more information and understanding about who the person and work of Jesus was than ever before, and yet multitudes of millions of people are turning away from Christ, even the people in the church of Jesus Christ. That's concerning as well, turning away from who He is. But He didn't stop by assaulting their ignorance. He assaulted their decadence. Notice his his assault continues in verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. How's that for a compliment? People say, well, Jesus, he loved, he was loving. Yeah, he called a spade a spade. Forgive my reference, if you will, or whatever, but he, he called it like it was. He called the shots. An evil and adulterous generation. In Luke chapter 11, verse, uh, well, we see in Chapter 12, verse 39, he said the same thing to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign.' Over in Luke chapter 11, the term is, the word is wicked, and it just means morally and spiritually bankrupt. The society was. They were unable to discern from Jesus' message and from his miracles that he really was the real deal. He was the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one that we needed to turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. So they sought a sign, not for purposes of affirmation, okay, of Jesus' identity, but as ammunition. They wanted to use it against him. And Jesus' rebuke turns into a refusal. Notice his refusal in 4b. He says, eh, not so much. Not going to give you a sign. You want a sign? No sign. I'm not playing your game. Except the sign of Jonah. There you go. Only the sign of Jonah. That's the one. We've seen this before. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus said, For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. You see, the sign that you want isn't now. It's coming. For them it was coming. For us it's already happened. The sign was the sign of Jonah. Because uh, Christ's resurrection served as the foremost and the final sign that who he was, who he said he was, is who he was. To every skeptic that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died for sin, conquered death, and rose again, giving us the opportunity that we could live forever with him. That's what he did when he rose from the dead. Well, if the resurrection isn't enough for the self-righteous and the self-indulgent, then Jesus says, I, I've got nothing else for you. And I wonder as we listen to these things, is it enough for us? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the foremost and final sign that we would embrace it? Does it point me conclusively to Jesus as the Savior? Am I convinced, convicted of my sin and, and converted, or will I just refuse uh, despite the evidence? There's evidence. We just have to accept it. I, my challenge is, if, if, repent and believe before you receive what the final judgment has for those who reject jesus which is indicated hinted at here in the text his retreat the last part of verse four and he left them and went away what jesus actually walked away from people who were asking him for spiritual help yeah he did and he will if we come to a point where there's nothing that will convince us, nothing that would work and, and, and turn us, Jesus will, will call it all End of discussion. Their hope would be heeding the sign. They still had hope, right, because the resurrection hadn't happened yet. So they still had an opportunity to heed it and receive. But Jesus says, okay, it's up to you. I, I'm done. And he walks away. I remember entering into a discussion on Facebook several years ago. So the, the, I think it was the, the last time I ever tried to engage somebody in kind of a, a dialogue and a confrontation about an issue, you know, because it, it's pointless. Uh, and, and I got to a point where I realized it didn't really matter what I said. They, they had their mind made up, and I did too, okay? And so I just said, okay, it looks like we, we, we disagree, so I'm done. Walk away. Jesus said, looks like we disagree, so I'm done. But it's not too late for you and me if we've been up to this point resistant to Jesus because we're still here. And so there's still an opportunity for us to repent and believe. The first group of people Jesus spoke to were those who would deny the truth and he said, don't live a lie. To those who would defend the truth, he says, don't believe a lie. Don't, li- don't listen to lies, okay? Don't listen to them, okay? Don't even listen to them. That's verses 5 through 12. Jesus seized upon the fact, see, the, the disciples forgot to take bread, and Jesus seized upon the fact that they forgot to take bread as an opportunity to, to teach them. And so he says in chapter 6, or chapter 16, verse 6, and Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Warning sign. Now, interestingly, look at verse 6. And then now go down to verse 11. Because in verse 11 he says the exact same thing. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's, it's, it's bookended. So you have this, this beware warning sign with a beware warning sign, and in between is everything that we need to learn about beingware of the warning sign. So it's called the bookend of truth that contains within it what we need to understand about being where. And then he exposits it. So what we see here is Jesus' warning comes in three stages. Now, what does beware mean? First of all, it's a command. He says, beware of the leaven of the ph- Pharisees and the Sadducees. Open your eyes to danger, he says. So here, I have, one, I have an example for you. Some of you have received emails, supposedly from me, asking for financial help asking for you to purchase some uh, gift cards uh, on, on my behalf to, to help, help people in need. I'm not sending you these emails. I will not send you an email asking for your financial support or help, okay? It's a, called a phishing scheme. They want you to respond, and then they have your information, and they can get, get money from you. Beware, warning, 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 Emails for me asking for money, just delete, okay? I'm not big-time uh, TV preachers, so I don't uh, send out solicitations for finances uh, for, from you right now. Let's I, I not call 1-800, you know, this and this and this. So uh, if that changes, uh, I, I don't think it will. Uh, we will inform you fully before we, uh, we do that. We're not going to. So don't, don't list. Beware. And Jesus says, beware, open your eyes, okay? Leaven, what's leaven? Well, the ladies know what leaven is, it's yeast, okay? It makes the bread ferment and, and, and rise and taste good, okay? Unleavened bread is kind of boring. So it's leavened bread, well. that's the nice smell you get when, they're, when the bread is baking, you know? You smell that yeast doing its work. So Jesus figuratively refers to the detrimental influence of the, of the, of the misguided leaders, but his disciples think he's mad at them because they forgot to bring bread. <laughs> um, look at verse 7. And they began to discuss among themselves, saying, It's because we took no bread. That's what he's doing. He's, he's after us. He's going to trick us again. Well, given the spiritual lessons they've, they've received and the physical provision they've, they've had, through Jesus' use of bread just previously. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 14 and the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 15? It's really remarkable that they're so dense that they think Jesus is really mad at them because he didn't bring bread. They're they're focused entirely on the physical and material meaning. But it's not about forgotten bread. (laughs) That's where his correction comes in, in verse 8. Jesus rebuked him. You men of little faith. And he's done this before, okay? (laughs) They're out in the boat and uh, wake him up. Jesus, Jesus, we're in a bad storm. We're in a bad storm. Help, 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 help. He gets up. Okay, be still. Storm. You men of little faith. You men of little faith. What does he mean, little faith? Well, this, this, this little faith is, is when our experience of God's past faithfulness doesn't inform our present challenge. Okay? We, we, we forget. But it's, it's, it's a justifiable reprimand given his previous generosity, okay? You know, I, it's been a while since I've actually flown, a little over a year, but if you fly, you have to go through what's called the TSA checkpoint, okay? So you're walking up to this person who's sitting at a counter, you know, and they have these little ropes draped around. If you've been to any amusement park or whatever, you know the routine. You walk around these ropes. It makes you think like you're making progress. It's just a way of herding cattle that makes them kind of feel like you're making progress, but you're in a huge long line. And while you're in this line, you're seeing signs, and signs say, oh, no liquids allowed, or liquids under three ounces. Blah blah blah. They say you must empty your pockets, and you have loudspeakers telling you, "Warning, warning, warning! Take off, uh, take off your belt. You're gonna have to take off your shoes, take off your jacket. No liquids beyond three ounces. Blah 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 blah." And you know what? People still get to the gate, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I gotta take off my belt. Oh yeah, I gotta take off my jacket. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta empty. Wait wait, I gotta empty my pockets. Oh yeah, I gotta drink. Got drink." And I just happen to have this pocket knife in my, my, you know, it's only five inch long. You know, I use it to skin fish, and I, I thought I could take it with me on the plate. Duh! But people are so absorbed with getting their ticket, or nowadays finding it on their phone in their wallet, you know, getting the QR code out, or they're, they're worried about getting their ID out, that they neglect it. And, and Jesus says to the disciples, look, you focused on the wrong stuff. You're focused on the bread. Not talking about bread. That, that's not it at all. How could they forget who Jesus is? There's two powerful examples that they just walked through that should be vivid reminders that they don't need to worry about bread. I mean, Jesus gave them bread. Look, look, at, look at verse 9. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? I mean, how much surplus or was? How many was there? How, many, how much surplus did they take up? 12 baskets. One for each disciple when he fed the 5,000. When he fed the 4,000, how many baskets did they take up? Seven. It's like, you really are seriously concerned about bread? <laughs> Come on. I've got this. Haven't I proven that I have it? You should not question jesus how could they forget what god has done being oblivious to his faithfulness his past faithfulness folks what about you and me i don't want you going through right now i know what some of you are going through but some of you are doubting god's faithfulness some of you are questioning whether god's going to get you through whether it's a physical emotional spiritual or financial struggle Oh, we have little faith. Is not God's past faithfulness enough to prove that he is good enough to get us through whatever it is we're looking for? He drove home the reality of God's gracious provision and stressed the absurdity of their concern over the lack of bread. It was their physical focus rather than their spiritual insight that he was condemning. I think we sang this song last week. He makes mountains move and he makes giants fall. He uses songs of praise to shake prison walls. I will speak to my fear and I will preach to my doubt. If he was faithful then, he will be faithful now. He's the God who parted the Red Sea. He's the God who took Joseph down into Egypt to preserve his people. He's the God who brought Ruth, a husband by the name of Boaz, by whom Obed was born, by whom eventually David was born, by whom Jesus was born. He gave Elizabeth and Zacharias a son by the name of John in their old age, and he gave Mary, a son by an immaculate conception, Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead. He was faithful then. He will be faithful now. Some of you prayed that God would bring healing and strength, and he did. Some of you prayed and didn't pray, and God chased you down, grabbed you by the nap of the neck, and saved you from a life of sin and condemnation. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, that's true for all of us. He's been faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. Verse 11, how is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but because, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that led him to, hey, this is his conclusion in verse 12. Verse 12 is a conclusion. Then they understood that he said, he said, he, he did not say to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of the bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of their lies. That's what he's warning about. The disciples made the connection with chapter 15 when Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that reveals the heart. So you don't want to listen to these people because what they speak is coming out of a heart of sin. Leaven meant the corrupt teaching of the Pharisees. So we have the self-righteous Pharisees, right? The self-righteous, legalistic Pharisees who added to the Scriptures. right? Traditions, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And you have the self-indulgent Sadducees. Whose liberalism subtracted from the scriptures? Yeah, well, not so much. There's no angels. There's no resurrection. You know, we we don't have to worry about that stuff. And so you have both ends of the spectrum. And Jesus says, "Watch out! Don't listen to these people. Don't listen to their lies." So everyone who embraces the Bible as true must be on guard against everyone who erodes that truth, either adding to it or subtracting from it. We have to be on guard. Anyone who especially denies the sufficiency of and surrender to Jesus Christ in his ministry and his work. Caution. Warning, warning, warning. Remember the passage I read to the graduates in 2 Timothy chapter 3? It says evil men will go from bad to worse. Okay? They'll deny the truth. All through the scriptures were given warning about false teachers. And so I, I said, what practices, what things can we do if we are really God's children that will help uh, prevent us from listening to lies? A, number one, to be grounded in the truth. Okay? So, two sources of that, well, more sources than that, but two that I'm gonna mention God's Word and the Spirit's work. God's Word, what does God's Word say to us? We need to know it, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture, 15, is God breathed, 16, and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. It's God's word that's useful. So we can't use it if we don't know it. And the only way we can know it is if we read it and study it. And so I'm challenging you to read and study God's word, not as a form of legalism, God doesn't need you to read God's Word to know Him as Savior. He needs you to know God's Word after having heard God's Word because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. But we must know the Word. So we can study the Word. And if you're going to study the Word, either study it in the New American Standard, the ESV, or the New King James... Uh, you can study it in other versions, but if you're going to study it, I would encourage you to study it in those translations. You can read it in other translations, it doesn't matter, but there are good translations. Get a, a decent study Bible, get a MacArthur study Bible, get a Ryrie study Bible, get a uh, you know, uh, an ESV study Bible, get, get one that has some, some doctrinal truth. So, study and know the Word of God. Secondly, there's the Spirit's work, because uh, it says... Uh, if you look at uh, John 14:26, do we have that? Yeah, there is. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have said. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, and as for you, the anointing which you received from him remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you remain in him. The Spirit of God illumines our eyes to the truth of God's Word so that we can apply the truth of God's Word to our life. And then, you know, it's, I didn't give you this in your notes, but this is a, this is a little added free part. Uh, God's people, whom you know, know the Word of God and trust the Word of God, are to be used to check us and to balance us. Iron sharpens iron so that we can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And how do we know? See, everybody say, well, I just don't know. I hear all this stuff, especially, you know, all the young people. We hear all this stuff. How do I know what's true or what's false? You know what's false by knowing what's true. You know, money now has a watermark on it, right? So all of our money has a watermark, and they just hold the money up to the light, and they can tell if it has a watermark. That's how they know it's true. Used to be they didn't have that. So the people who studied and tried to determine who was doing counterfeits, you know how they did it? They didn't study all the different ways to counterfeit money. They studied what real money looked like. And when they knew what real money looked like, they could could see the uh, counterfeits a mile away. If you know the truth, error becomes immediately apparent. And the challenge for us in the church of Jesus Christ today is to know what error looks like. And so I'm going to give you uh, the second thing is to be guided by the truth. So what markers, Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says twice in those verses, if anyone preaches a gospel to you other than that which I have given to you, let him be accursed. If anyone preaches a gospel to you other than that which I have given to you, let him be accursed. I think I got it right, didn't I? Yeah, okay. Let him be accursed. That's powerful stuff. A gospel different. What is the gospel? We must know the word of God. Be guided by the truth. There are some uh, little red flags that should go up in our mind when we see error. So here are the markers that I'm going to give you. Here are the uh, identifying errors. First of all, what do they teach about Jesus? What do they teach about Jesus? You can just put in your notes to write notes, Jesus. What do they say about it? Because the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees all had it wrong about Jesus because they denied the deity of Jesus, right? They didn't believe he was God. He was fully God. And every false religion in the world today does the exact same thing. They got it wrong on Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. And anyone who denies it and says differently is wrong. And John uh, uh, tells us this. Uh, if you look at 2 John chapter seven, if anyone denies that Jesus is the Christ, He's risen from the dead, let him be accursed. I don't know what verse you have up there, but goes and does. Uh, I'm not right. There, I'm not there yet. Okay, I just I threw one in, so I'll get there. All right. So what do they teach about Jesus? I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they all got it wrong on Jesus. Everybody's got it wrong, Christology, they got it wrong, New Age movement, they got it wrong on Jesus. So if we know Jesus, see it. Next one is, what do they teach about God? Who God is. Who God is, what is his character? You see, we have religious teachers out there, God is love, and that's all God is. Love wins. That's not all God is. God is love, but he's also holy and righteous and just. So if you're only preaching God, love wins, you got it wrong. If you only preach that uh, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise, that's the promise that God, if if you're preaching that, that's not it. That's not all God is. is That's not a promise from God for every human being on the face of the planet. And so you got it wrong on God. If they got it wrong on God, they got it wrong. Titus chapter 1, verse 14 uh, says this, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. They got it wrong on man, who man is. What does it mean to be a human being? They got it wrong. Uh, Critical race theory promotes ethnic hatred. Okay? Critical, I'll say it again, critical race theory promotes ethnic hatred. It promotes hatred of one ethnic group against another. Well, the Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, that God made them all and that God created man in his own image. That means that it doesn't matter how much melanin you have in your skin, you're still in the image of God. It doesn't matter how your mental capacity is. It doesn't matter your physical ability. It doesn't matter where you live geographically. It matters only that you're a human being. And if you're a human being, you have value to Almighty God, and you should have value to each and every other human being. Any teaching that denies this is not right. They, they're, wrong, they're wrong on sin. Humanism says man's basically good. God's Word says man is basically bad. So you can pick humanism or you can pick the Bible, but you can't pick both. One is wrong, one is right. I'm I'm sticking with God, okay? Materialism says there's only what's material. that We're just material processes that God didn't create us. That's wrong. Marxism denies man's sinful nature. They'll deny the fact that God made them male and female. Made he them. God didn't, you know, there's there's not a lot of options with God. It's two, male and female. If it says something else, it's not from God. God made it right. Uh, and so what, what happens when you get it wrong on sin? Anything goes. Anything goes. You know, it's whatever, whatever. That's where we're at today. I don't know if you knew this, but the, the, the Catholic Church in Germany, there were several Catholic Churches in, in Germany this last weekend that celebrated and glorified and, and endorsed uh, the LGBTQ movement in the Catholic Church against, contrary to the general teaching of the Catholic Church. But hey, if anything goes, anything goes, right? So it doesn't really matter. They get it wrong on salvation. How is a person saved? Legalism? If I just jump through all the hoops? No. Liberalism? I can do whatever I want. And God's going to accept me anyway, just as long as I believe something. No, this is wrong. Second John, chapter nine and ten, verses nine and ten. Anyone who goes too far and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them? You know, some of you people ask me, you say, you know, I don't know, you never asked me, but I'm thinking, just because the Mormons show up at your door with a black tie, what kind of teaching do they come with? Is it the teaching of Christ or something else? No obligation to enter and let them come in. Now, it's up to you. If you want to talk to them on the front porch, that's fine. Uh, same, same with the Jehovah. You don't have an obligation to let them come in. And then finally, be a guardian of the truth. Jude 3 says that we should contend earnestly for the faith. That means we need to speak up. That means we need to know the truth, and we need to speak up for the truth. We should not speak where God does not speak, but we should not be silent where God speaks. And we need to stand up against the truth. I'll tell you, I I was here Friday night and heard our brother Gillette speak. And he said something about the Equality Act, which I've said to you before. The Equality Act, if passed, will make it illegal for you and I to hold a biblical perspective on God's creation of man and woman and male and female. It will be illegal for us to to hold the position that we now hold as far as God made them male and female and marriage between man and woman and that's it. It will be illegal. Now, that's something we need to say, I don't agree with. I think we need to speak up and speak up against it, okay? It's not a political this versus them issue. It's not a political party issue. It's a Bible issue, which a lot of things are uh, if, if we get to it. Okay, so here's what we do. I read uh, a warning sign once. It said, due to the high prices of ammunition, there will be no warning shots. which is actually apropos for today, yeah? Uh, Jesus issued a warning shot. He issued a warning shot to every person who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, look, there is this thing called the resurrection. You should look to the resurrection, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all the evidence now that I'm going to give you, aside from the boatloads of information you have in the rest of the Bible, that you've refused up to this point, that you should accept Jesus as the Christ. And my plea to you is if you have been turning away from Jesus, you've been denying that Jesus is the Christ, denying that you are a sinful person, separated from God, and that you need to turn from your sin and trust that Jesus paid the debt that you deserve, and that you will accept his payment on your behalf, my challenge is do it today. And just cry out and say, okay, Lord, I've been playing games. Because... If you don't accept Christ, what does Jesus do with them? What will he do with you? He'll walk away. He'll leave you in your sin. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not twisting anybody's arms. He's not making you do something you don't want to do. He is there, but the Spirit of God will woo you. The Spirit of God will convict you. And if he's doing that, then don't resist him. That's what I say. To believers, here's the deal. Don't listen to lies, and don't let them spread. And the thing we do at the end of our service every Sunday is a beautiful reminder of what Jesus told those Pharisees, and He tells us and Sadducees today is that Jesus died, and he rose again from the dead. And we take the bread, and we remember his body broken. We take the cup, we remember his blood shed, and then we rejoice that he didn't stay there dead, and, and, but he died for our sins so that all who believe will be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life, and we will be raised again with him on the last day. That's the hope, and that's the joy that we celebrate when we celebrate communion. So we reflect soberly, soberly, on the price that was paid for our sin. And then we remember joyfully that we will join him in glory one day and we can live for him every day now until then. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you warn those who deny the truth not to live a lie. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you warn those who defend the truth not to listen to lies and not to let lies be spread. Give us boldness and courage. And Father, forgive us for forgetting your faithfulness in the past. Help us to remember what you've done. You've been faithful then. You'll be faithful now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.